You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Corporate Quitter Podcast. On today's episode, we have Jim Treadway, the founder of GrowthWise, which is an online tutoring company. Hi, Jim. (laughs) So what's your story? Like, where did GrowthWise start? I I know you went to, you know, you did the Ivy League school, you did all that. And I know you've been tutoring since you were 11. But like, what were the pieces that actually brought you from tutoring at 11 to now having this online tutoring business? I was an expert in personality type before tutoring. So when I moved back to New York after doing my degrees, I wanted to help everyone understand the personality types. So I used to train work teams and coach people one-on-one in Myers-Briggs personality type. And so I was like putting flyers up all over New York City. I put some flyers up in the cafe next to a hospital for special surgery. I was like one of my big first gigs that I landed and they hired me from the flyer. And so I trained the whole administrative board at Hospital for Special Surgery in personality type. And then they had me come train all the nurses. And so as I was getting all that off the ground, I just, you know, it takes time at like expert in personality type, I basically made it up. And then I was just demoing one-on-one coaching sessions with all my friends and family who'd be willing to and just planting seeds. And so they started to like think of me sometimes. And then through them, I got... Uh, a couple of gigs with Y Combinator, that, what do they call it? Incubator, startup incubator. So as I was, as I was, that was building momentum, I started to tutor at the same time just to help pay my bills. And I just assumed to be like, oh, whatever, like just open the book, explain the questions. That's what it'll be. And then tutoring just started to, again, I, that same thing. I just put flyers up around the city and I got on thumbtack.com. So I started getting tutoring gigs there and personality gigs. And then tutoring just started to take off and I got more and more referrals. Uh, The market had a much stronger desire for tutoring than for personality type expertise, seemingly. And then I went to my first Tony Robbins Business Mastery Seminar in 2016. And I went in, I was like, okay, like I'm going to figure out how to build this personality business because I thought that was like the deeper, more personal work that I want to do with people. And then by the time I'd left the seminar, it was like, no, 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 tutoring is my thing. The market is obviously rewarding it way more. And, and I was starting to realize that tutoring was getting ever more meaningful uh, and also lucrative. So after that seminar, it was like, all right, all tutoring, this will be plenty meaningful and personality type can always come back later. And then ever since then, it was like, got totally full with students. And then, so I'd overflow students. So then I started to put up flyers again to find tutors who'd be good to train. And then all of a sudden I had a tutoring company. Did you ever find, like, as things were getting really busy, were you struggling to find help? Like, I know you said that you put flyers up and found people, but like, were you getting people who were like, hi, I'd be good. And they had like no qualifications or you'd hire them. And then you like had to let them go. Like, what were the challenges of bringing on new tutors? Cause I know when I talked to you about this years ago, you only had three or four tutors. Now, how many tutors do you have? Like 15 or 17, something like that. Probably fluctuates a little bit. And they're all based in New York? Are they like remote globally? They're around the country. That's so cool. So so with the ones that were, you know, remotely, how did you find them? And what were the challenges you had with hiring staff? I think the personality type part helped a lot. Um, So you knowing about different personality types and what works and what doesn't? Yeah, you learn to speed read people and their gifts and their superpowers. And that's also going to come with blind spots. 
And I think the biggest thing I wanted was I tended to hire in Myers-Briggs language, you have thinkers versus feelers. So thinkers uh, see the world as more like objective. They have a little thicker skin. Feelers, by contrast, they experience the whole world very personally. So like empathy is, they're, they're all, feelers are fluent in empathy instinctively. They know what everyone else is feeling. They are a little softer, warmer, probably more patient with other people. So I tended to hire feelers because I knew they'd be really patient and warm with kids. And I didn't have this calculation in my mind back then. I just knew I probably had a preference for feelers. And I think there's a good chance, certain thinkers totally transcend this, but like with people who are just going to be really warm and personable with kids, the odds that they're going to make a connection, no matter what student or family you give them, is way higher. So it's, it's actually a better like economic bet because they're going to appeal to a broader range of people. And so, yeah, I think... Um, Feelers. And then also uh, with tutoring, there's the concern that they might just steal all your techniques and steal your students. And steal oh, I never even thought about that, actually. That's, I, yeah. yeah, how do you even, do you have to, do they have to like sign contracts or something like that? Sure. That feels more like a legal bluff though. Like if they want to do it, they, they could pull it off. They could steal. So I've been, I haven't caught anyone doing it. And I've been surprised how many times they've come to me and told me like, hey, this family wants to work with me. Like, let me put you in touch with them to like keep them under the growth wise umbrella. Oh, wow. That's so, that's so nice of them versus like doing side work in yeah, a sense. Even worse, uh, a bunch of times they've come to me and they've been like, this parent offered me money on the side, more money than I'm getting paid and less money than they're paying growth wise. And they just told me about that. So I think uh, we've hired people with like really good integrity. Yeah. So, if, and if, and I, I remember, you know, interviewing tutors who I was, I didn't feel sure that I could trust them on that front. So I just wouldn't take that chance. Um, like a gut feeling, like you just had a feeling that it wasn't going to work out. Yeah, for sure. And so thinker feeler, there's virtuous thinker and toxic thinker. There's virtuous feeler and toxic feeler. And, and uh, the key actually come to think of it, I'm realizing this as I say it right now, it's just, are you a virtuous thinker or a virtuous in how you're a feeler? And so we do have some tutors now who are thinkers, but they're super virtuous. I think if you have the thinker mentality, you tend not to take work personally. So thinkers are a lot better with like office politics because they don't, they know it's all a game and they're not taking it personally. So I think the thinker mentality probably would make you a little more likely to be like, ah, whatever, I could take this family on the side. I don't need to like show Jim my heart every time I speak to him. I could keep this secret. They'd be able to carry it. But like, Karina is one of our tutors. I would say she's got to be a thinker. She's like the best bio, biology, chemistry tutor you could imagine. She's so brilliant with people. I like hear her think about how she's relating to and connecting with families. And I feel interpersonally dumb when I hear her talk. It's like, oh my God, this girl is such a genius. <laughs> how she like connects and, and commands respect and like gets report, everything. So yeah, that's the end of my speech on that. <laughs> if someone wanted to find out like where they fell into those categories, could they just go to like Myers-Briggs? Is it like they have a website that you can kind of like take a free quiz to find it out? Yeah, there's plenty of those. Uh, 16personalities.com has the one I like the best. But tests get people wrong a lot. They're very aspirational. So you'll answer how you want to be seen very often. Mm -hmm. The more insecure you are in who you are yourself, the more likely your test result is inaccurate because you'll answer aspirationally instead of just like, a genuine resonance of what feels true to me. And I'm okay with being that in the world, whatever results may come. And you'll find a test that way. But even that aside, you might not fully grasp 
what the test is trying to get at and the questions that it asks. And so like your brain will go to one scene, you'd be like, oh, I guess I'm a feeler. But the person writing the test had something else in mind, but their like one line question wasn't able to convey that. So results on those tests are pretty unreliable depending on the person. Interesting. For my my last role that I was in, when like one of our quarterly like fun activities was like we all had to take this personality test and like it was really cool like I got to know a lot about myself but you know there's always the I'm always wondering if it's even accurate or if it's missing something and it's just like you know it's not giving the full picture so it's not telling you your actual weaknesses or whatever it is there's something missing yeah to get it right you'd have to like deeply know the spectrum and all the things that are involved you have to be willing to like openly and honestly reflect on the different signals that are saying, oh, maybe I'm a thinker, maybe I'm a feeler. It would help to work with an expert who's like gauging your congruence as you answer the questions. And so I would be gauging like their tone of voice, their facial expressions, if they like touch their face while they answer, which is a sign of discomfort with something you've just said. So all these like interpersonal like lie detection techniques are very valuable because a lot of times people don't even know how uncertain they are of who they actually are. Do you find that you having these skills of quote unquote, being able to detect lies in a sense, do you find that your students, you can pick apart the pieces that are beating them up or like, you know, they're telling you like, oh, I'm really confident about taking the SIT this upcoming weekend, but you can tell just from the conversation, whether they're prepared or not. Absolutely. One student once called me, he's like, you're a human lie detector. (laughs) Hide anything from you. In fact, if a student takes a test and tells me they're confident, 90% chance that test went horribly. I hate when they say they're confident. Really? I hate it. Um, what's way more likely to happen in my experience if they say that is they got their asses kicked and they're totally in denial about it and so scared of that. And so they're just like putting on the confident mask. <laughs> And, but however, some, uh, I have one student now and he has reported back on a couple of tests that he was super confident and the energy around it, you can feel it even through text. It felt different. I was like, Oh, I actually believe him. And then he completely crushed his February ACT, but he can point to really good specifics of while he was taking the test of things that went so well. And that like gives me even more assurance. Whereas when, when they like say they're confident, but like have no details to back it up. It's like, oh no, this is not going to be good. Oh, you wonder if it's yes, denial, but also like they're basically telling their parents what they want to hear. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I was really confident. And then the parents thinking, oh my God, that's great. That's the, you know, what you need in order to get into the school that I want you to go to, <laughs> uh-huh. you know? And me too. Yeah. Like same thing. Cause I, I start to become like a parent. So they might want me to think that too. So you know, now that we talked about like the strategy on your end with like Myers-Briggs and personality tests and apparently lie detecting, <laughs> um, what is a strategy or method that you develop that your like your students swear by and the parents who see their students swear by too, other than the personality test? Hmm. A boring one is how you cross out wrong answers. So it's like uh, a lot of students, they just put a line through the whole answer choice. And what we teach is to only cross out the part of the answer that actually makes it wrong. Like, you know, if the, if the, if it's reading comprehension and it's, it's like, you know, why did the mother in the scene say this? And it's like, because she was anxious about her son's future. And it's like, no, she wasn't anxious. That's not the emotions. It was hopeful. So you'd only cross out the word anxious 
And that just leaves a very specific record of your thoughts and it forces you to get so precise about exactly why this answer is right or wrong, as opposed to like just a big old cross out. When you start reading through the other answers and then you come back to this one, it's like, you, you have to rethink your whole thought process why I don't like this answer. But if you go back and you just see the word anxious crossed out, you're like, oh yeah, you know in an instant, like, oh no, 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 that, that was not her emotion. So students always say that in their tests, like, and they tell me this all the way through college, they never go back to the full cross out. They only ever cross out the part of the answer that makes it wrong. So that's much more boring. The more interesting one is probably what I'm teaching right now, which is, let's call it this. We'll, we'll say, what's the difference between head anxiety and heart anxiety? It's two very different experiences of anxiety around an uncertain outcome. And so what happens is students get nervous before the test comes. And without all the awareness that I teach them about being in your head versus being in your heart with your awareness in the moment. And just to show you what I mean by that, it's like in this moment, can you, are your feet touching your chair or the floor? Are, are you asking me that? Mm -hmm. My feet are, I guess they're touching the chair. Like they're on an angle. So my, my tips and my toes are on the floor, but they're like up. Yeah, okay, so you can you can bring your awareness to the place where your feet are touching the floor, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you wanted, you could bring your awareness to like your legs in the chair. Yeah. You could bring your awareness to your left elbow. Sure. You can also bring it to the middle of your chest. In the middle of your chest, obviously it's where the heart is. And I teach students how to, to notice subtle sensations in your chest and in your chest is that part of your body is about the resonance of what is true for you. So your body will open and relax there when you think about or do something that is true for you. It will open and relax and it will tighten and constrict when you think about doing something or you are actually about to do something that is not true for you. So they get very aware of what the difference is between is my awareness up in my head or is it down in my chest? Uh, and one of the reasons that, you know, you always hear like, take a deep breath. Everyone's like, oh, a deep breath is good. Well, a deep breath will bring your awareness down to your chest. That's, okay, so I said that's where you experience the resonance of what is true for you. You basically always want to live from that place. And you'll live in clarity. You'll live with like faith and trust around what is unfolding. In your head, you'll go into doubt and worry. And you'll be in a totally different state for whatever uncertain outcome it is you're facing. An uncertain outcome is like the name of life. It's just always that way. How's this test going to go? How's the podcast with Gabby going to go? Whatever it is. <laughs> like, you know, you could get doubtful and fearful about it. You could also have faith and trust about how it's going to go. And simply by moving your attention, for me, it's like 200 times a day to the middle of my chest. I can hear what's actually true for me. Uh, and then I know, like, should I do more? prep for my SAT or not, or I know, should I spend like 10 more seconds working on this question or should I move on? Choose the answer I like and move on based on how much time's left. All these answers, your chest is giving you biofeedback in the moment and you don't need like fancy electrodes and machines to pick it up. You can just train yourself to sensitize to that sensation of opening, relaxing or closing and constricting. So as students start to become aware of this, they get really quick and good at naming when they're in their head versus when they're in their heart or even their gut. Do you think, since, since you just mentioned gut, my 
Mm-hmm. You're saying heart, which I know for a fact, like when I feel like when I left my job, I knew in my heart, it was the right feeling. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's a difference between having a feeling in your heart, like your soul versus like your gut feeling, right? Because the gut feeling is almost like you're reacting to a scenario that maybe would be, a, I don't know if it's a fight or flight or like, like, for example, one time I got into a really bad car accident and I had a gut feeling that morning as I was leaving the house that something was going to happen that was bad and I didn't know what it was. And within eight minutes or so, like, that's when the accident happened. So I don't know if that's the same thing as like the heart feeling you're talking about or if that's a gut feeling or if they are one and the same. I don't have a great answer to this. I heard it explained. It resonated for me. It made a lot of sense recently that the gut is about action. Like think of Nike just do it. Gut is do it or don't. So heart is resonance of what's true. Gut is action. They're pretty related. Mm -hmm. And honestly, as you're experiencing a moment, you're probably getting sensations from both places. And it's telling you, is this true for me? And what should I do? I haven't seen anyone like bring their attention to their heart and, and be like, oh no, but I should have done the gut too. It's like, once you just take your attention into your body and you'll be good in my experience. And here's what's cool. If you live your life from your head, it, your life will be about fear, safety, judgment, massively important. And when you're in your head too much, what our students get really well-versed in knowing, when you're in your head too much, you will fall into perfectionism. Just a lot of fear and safety. You'll fall into worrying way too much about what other people think. Again, just fear and safety. It feels safer if everybody likes you, which is a pipe dream. Everybody will not always like you. Um, <laughs> I'm learning that right now. Ah. And it's actually, it's so freeing. It's very liberating when you don't give a shit what anyone thinks about you, honestly. Totally. Another thing you'll do when you're in your head too much is make up imaginary scenarios that scare the shit out of you. Oh yeah. uh, And almost never happen. So that's all head. So when you've got words and labels for it, you can spot it super quickly and immediately course correct. So you course correct. You just bring your awareness back to your chest. A breath will always help. You don't need to, but it helps. And... When your awareness is in your body instead of your head, you go from a life of fear, worry, and doubt to a life of what's true for me and acting on it. It's a radically different life that you've just put yourself on onto the trajectory of. And you're not only going to crush it on your SAT or ACT, like you saw those messages from my student, but what they're coming back to me and telling me is like, yeah, I actually feel so much more relaxed around my friends now. I'm like just having fun. They, they're coming back and saying like that they played way better in like the volleyball tournament or whatever they had the previous weekend. And then the next piece, which I'm very excited to show them, what a lot of teenagers do, when I, when I tell people I teach teenagers, people are like, oh, teenagers are so hard. That must be so hard. And it's only because teenagers judge a lot. Yeah. And they're anxious about how they come off to other people too. Yeah, head. And so the, yeah. judge part, the, the people they judge the most are the ones who feel the safest, which is mom and dad. And they're, it's just, they're shitty. They're mean to their parents. And when I start to show them, like, that's just judgment. Like, let's take mom nagging you about college. And this quote is like so helpful. Uh, I heard it like a month ago. And it's that true listening is hearing the words people are saying and also hearing what their heart is saying at the same time, which is, which is usually something very different. Yeah. And when you speak to their heart, people respond. So if you take the mom who's nagging you about college 
it, it, she's probably in her head. You're feeling all that stress energy. It's all contagious. It's not fun. So then the, the teenager will try to protect themselves by like judging mom or dad and being and like getting really moody. But if they were to, when they check in and they just ask, like, hold up, what was mom's heart saying there? And I'll, I'll, her heart is probably saying, I love you so much. I want the best for your future. I just, I want you to be happy. He's like, oh my God, that's the most endearing thing I've ever heard. And so what I've, I've started playing with guiding teens to say back to their parents in that moment is like, call out and honor what the parent's heart is saying. It's like, mom, I know you want the best for me. I know you love me so much. And, and I need you to trust me, um, you know, when I get this application done or whatever it is. I, like mom and dad cannot help but to react so differently to that moment and actually give the kid the space they need and want to be free to get their work done in the way that's true for the kid. That's so awesome. That's so cute. I, remember, I was a terror when I was a teenager. So I mean, if you can have, I, like, and it's funny too, because my, my brother who's a year younger than me, when he was in like elementary school, him and my mom fought all the time. Like he was a nightmare, like terrible. Like they, and then eventually my brother was like, oh, if I'm nice to her, we can actually have a really pleasant relationship. And now they do, but like, you know, it's, it's just cool that you're able to, while you're tutoring these kids in one sense of like, you know, teaching them how to ace a test or also teaching them like the foundational skills to like have a very pleasant relationship with their family and like find love and joy in this present moment as they're experiencing life and then going towards adulthood. So cool. Yeah. And it, go it goes so much deeper too. So, you know, our, our last president, he'd always use that, that word, the phrase fake news. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is everything your head is generating is fake news. Yeah. It's all, it's bullshit. It creates a lot of fear and a lot of separation. And it's like, literally look at the news media. It's like what they'll say behind closed doors is like, if it bleeds, it leads. So it's all negative news because that gets everybody really scared and clicking and now they generate ad revenue and like continue to exist as a business. Yeah. So how much unnecessary fear is just being perpetuated like through news? Yeah. Which is that affecting so many things we see around us? Like the implications for this stuff are so broad. It's ridiculous. Do you find that from like, because obviously like when I was talking to you about growth wise years ago, you were in a very different place than you are now. And I know it like in 2018 or whenever it was, you had just started really getting, I know you were involved with Tony Robbins, but like that was at the the beginning of it. And now you you're like years and years into attending Tony Robbins seminars. Like, yeah. do you find that this has, is a result of like learning from him or is it something that you like kind of came together? Like, where did this come from and how did it get there? Massively from Tony. Uh, Tony's always uh, calling on people, having these long extended conversations with people that completely change their lives and during the seminars and then over and over he will call people out for being in their head i didn't feel like he charts a very clear path of what to do instead and the what to do instead which i figured out from other sources too and put it all together is like you just move your awareness to the middle of your chest and you listen for that quality of opening and relaxing versus closing and constricting every moment you do that you've basically saved yourself and I didn't hear him say the next bit. I just heard him call people out for being in their heads. But I heard him do it so many times that I'm sure it was a massive influence for me. And then in, yeah, beginning of March, I went to this ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica. Uh, ayahuasca is this like 
Amazonian brew. They make it with plants from vines there and it's psychedelic. And you go on like a six hour journey and you drink it or maybe longer. And you're basically like learning to suffer and you're learning to die and you're learning to surrender every time you drink that medicine, call it medicine. And you, and it can be very hard. It can be very scary. You might get these downloads of like unbelievable darkness. It can also be unbelievably beautiful, but it's completely unpredictable. And it's also very much a reflection of the pain you happen to be carrying in you already from the life you've been living, possibly even from past lives you've been living, actually basically guaranteed actually. So every time I came out of an ayahuasca ceremony, I would always feel like unbelievably clear and very plugged into just like the love that is present in every moment in relationship that when we get so in our heads, we have lost touch with, but it's always there. So I was just, it was always reconnecting me to being more in a heart place. And like life would unfold amazingly for weeks, months, years after the ceremony. And I would say like an ayahuasca ceremony is like six months to like 10 years of therapy in a night. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've never done it, but I, I want to. I think it's really cool. It's just kind of terrifying. But I mean, like, um, like, so when you did it, I obviously there's like the personal growth, but do you find that that growth also helped you with your business? Like if you didn't do it, would things be different? I would be shocked if they were not different, if I hadn't done it. And so since I came back from that last retreat in the beginning of March. The, of this year or last year? This year. Okay. The clarity around head and heart was like, so absurd and every day just even now every day i'm getting these new downloads that are just taking it further deeper everything so this is all completely played out in the tutoring and this insight in the head heart and and now kids are coming back to me with like oh my god i feel different around my friends i played so well in the tournament like the test went amazing so it's like all these things have come together when you went on those retreats did you go with a certain intention or a certain question or like a certain problem in mind to, to, to basically, uh, I don't know, figure out or like find the answer to, or was it kind of, you just went and it kind of took you where it needed to take you, whether you thought it was the way or not. Both. Both is what happens every single time. Yeah. You've got, you've got certain questions, certain intentions, but it will often take you somewhere very different. It's like, you think what your issue is one thing and it's like, Oh no, we got to look at something else first. <laughs> it's and like when you get solved, like in the process somehow. It's so interesting. It's so cool. I, it's on my bucket list for sure. It definitely is. I'm serious. I, you know, it's funny too, because I, I never heard of it until someone I used to work with who this guy was like, he was way older than me. Like he was super serious. Like he worked in tax, like someone who I think would not be going for something mm -hmm. like this. And he was like, oh yeah, I really want to do it. And I was like, wait, what? So of course I like went online and was like researching everything. He was telling me all about it. And that was like three or four years ago. Yeah. And like, I don't know if he actually ended up doing it, but I remember like, hmm. I didn't realize that it was even a thing and you can go and people will like, you know, you basically go and you have caregivers and people who oversee what's going on. So you're in a safe environment, but still like, so wild i'm thinking you have to like travel to the middle of like the amazon like you know like something so outlandish versus being in like an actual contained environment with people medics all the things yeah 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 i mean uh are you are you upstate new york right now i'm on long island okay 
there's not a bad chance there's like an ayahuasca ceremony happening like within a few miles of you somewhere really yeah Um, many nights of the week yeah (laughs) that's so funny but I feel like I wouldn't want to be here I need to be like very far away like I don't want to be near anyone that I possibly know (laughs) yeah 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 many options it's pretty cool though so like of that all of your experience what would you say like your biggest takeaway or the most rewarding thing is that you've gained from that adventure it's definitely head heart head heart awareness and the reason is i don't i i i have almost like no fear now it's crazy i mean it still comes back but i handle it so fast so quickly so my life really has become one of like ridiculous faith and trust And I believe God exists. I think God is just like the sum total of the energy of the universe. Like what would be more powerful than that? That's God. And and God has a plan for each of us. So based on your unique talents and gifts and interests and experiences and circumstances, there is a path for Gabby that is like just her absolute best, most fulfilling, most inspiring, most effective, most successful, happiest, expression of herself in this life and God is always calling you to it and that conversation is always happening in the heart whether you are willing and able to listen to it or not is always there for you always so with that awareness it's like I feel unbelievably guided my like deepest biggest dreams are like they're they're gonna happen it's not even like oh I hope oh I'm too scared to hope oh I'm gonna settle for something way no it's all gonna happen like, what are some of the dreams that you have that are coming in this next chapter? I'm going to have a podcast. <gasps> You're going to do one too? Oh my God, you better call me. <laughs> yeah. Let me help you. Yeah. That's so exciting. Oh my God, I, I didn't know that, dude. I know. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Podcast, um, find my wife, have kids. Oh, you want kids? How many kids do you want? Four. Oh, wow. Top dollar. Oh my God. Okay, four kids. Um, and and I'm gonna get exquisite with piano and I'm gonna find my singing voice the piano I'm gonna like fill the home I'm gonna start crying uh, and, and, um, and I'm gonna go into space with my mom she's like always talking about going into space uh, are you you're gonna hop on the Tesla thing you guys are gonna go with SpaceX yeah. and go yeah, with Elon are. Musk yeah, the last the last uh, Tony seminar I was at, they were a company was just showing us like the the cutting edge technology around being able to take people into space. It's coming way quicker than you think. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't done much research on it, but it's pretty. It's it's freaky. It's cool. Yeah, and my mom has talked about this since she was like, like since the eighties, as long as I can remember. She always like had this romantic fantasy about that. What else? <laughs> I will now lose all credibility with with the listenership. Uh, but, you know, I've been geeking out so hard on Bitcoin since December. And Really? Yeah. I am only just starting to learn about it. Like, my brother's freaking out. I have a brother who's 18, so he's 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And he was on Dodge, like Dodgecoin for so long. He's like, it's going to pop. It's going to pop. And now he's like, I told you so. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's so over my head. Like, even I think it was, yeah, two days ago, my boyfriend and I were talking about NFTs because he's a great he's a motion designer so he's always creating like digital assets and he works on game of thrones like all this stuff so he's like i don't understand it there are these people who make crap and yet they're selling it for like billions of dollars digitally like what is it like what what so what 
got you started on Bitcoin and like why why now and what's 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 about it that it's attracting you the most or what's the future you see with it? Oh man, uh, this is where being in your heart is so helpful because that's such a big complex question. But when I can- yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to throw you a curveball. I but just I am surprised. I really didn't think that you know. I had no I had no idea that you were this involved with it. Well, I could get in my head and go into doubt and fear and worry about oh how am I going to say all this? I don't need to. If I bring when I bring my awareness to the middle of my chest and I only say the things that create like a little opening and relaxing sensation in my chest, the things that are coming out of my mouth these days are so much smarter than anything I used to say before. Remember I was telling you the conversation with God is happening in your heart? Yeah. When you move your awareness to your heart and you're just listening for that opening and relaxing, it's no longer just you. You are now in a tag team partnership with spirit and God, and they're coming through you and they are way smarter and more capable than you are. So you will show up at the highest of your abilities when you're doing it in tandem with God, who is speaking to you through your heart. I'm way smarter now because of that. <laughs> Crazy. So, all right. And, and you remember in old school when Will Ferrell like channels his answer in the debate? He's like, yeah. All right. So I have those moments all the time. It's like, you know, give me like, okay, what's the state of crypto right now? It's like, I'll just tune into my heart and I'll have a Will Ferrell moment. So, okay. Now we get to see if that happens. <laughs> so governments right now, uh, they've, uh, they have been doing this for a while. I guess since 1971, when the U S went off the gold standard where they just print as much money as they need. And they were doing it before then too, but like they really like all the restrictions were off then as far as I know. And I don't claim to be an expert on any of this, so I might say stuff that's wrong. And so governments have just been printing money, printing money, printing money since 1971. So that's 50 years ago. And it's like 50 years of just, oh, we got a problem. Ooh, the economy's not looking too good. Like, well, let's just print more money. Just yeah. Give everyone more money. All right. So dollars have lost so much of their value, obviously. Oh, Yeah. And just last year, they added 25% more dollars into the money supply. And then they, they play with the CPI is the government statistic on if inflation exists or not. But like they can choose, they have so many things they can change in that equation just to make sure it doesn't look like there's too much inflation. And so like, you, you know, they, they could change. Uh, it's like some basket of goods and they're like watching its price movements, but there's all kinds of stuff they can do to like, change what's in the basket based on whatever reason. It's just like, keep that number low, please, because it looks really bad if everyone knows how much we've inflated the money. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the stock market since the 70s, in dollar terms, they've gone like way up. You'd think that's because like the stock market's doing better. It's just because the ruler that we measured in dollars has gotten way smaller. Yeah. dollar buys much less. And so if you look at it in gold terms, which has inflated much less, stock market's down since the 70s. Yeah. I mean, that's why my parents, like my mom, she used to work a, an EA job in the city, right? You know, kind of similar to what I used to do. And here I am, I, I was making six figures, which is like, cool. But like, I, it's so much more expensive for me to afford the general pieces that like, you know, food, shelter, all that. Whereas when she was working there, I think she made like a couple bucks an hour. And like, mm-hmm. it was similar to what is it, what it, we're at, we're basically where we're at now in a sense. Yeah. It's just bizarre because, you know, and even back then you could buy a house for like, I don't even know. It was definitely not millions of dollars. It was like maybe a hundred thousand would be like the max, but it was like reasonable, tangible, like double digits as opposed to like, you know, seven figures just to have a decent living. 
Totally. So the generation today, our dollars are way weaker than what they used to be. Uh, and then Bitcoin, meanwhile, the supply is locked to 21 million coins. So you cannot make more of it. And so money that can't be inflated, they call that hard money. And if you look at different times in history between different countries' currencies, whosoever money was harder had more value in it and would ultimately have way more purchasing power. And like that money would win the day. Like gold back um, currency. Like when we used to, I think way back in the, whatever it was, like the early 1900s is when we, we'd have as much gold in the bank as we did actually dollars. So it was backed by something versus just printing it, right? That's essentially it. Or it could be in the sense of oil versus dollars, like just tangible assets against that. Yeah. And probably people who really know this stuff listening to you and me talk about this. Would, would <laughs> but, but nonetheless, I think the broad themes that we're aware of are, are the case. And so uh, I've like aggress I've, I've invested in Bitcoin really aggressively. Like any money I have, I put in Bitcoin. And there's all kinds of reasons why Bitcoin seems like it's unhackable. It's never been hacked. Like it's encrypted digital money. You could send a billion dollars across the world in an instant right now for like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something, but like soon enough, the layers are building on top of Bitcoin, you'll be able to send it for free. So just like global remittances, no more Western Union with their like 16% interest rates or whatever, or, or, you know, not interest, whatever they charge and how much they take from, you know, what people are sending back to their families in whatever country it's gonna be. It looks like it's poised to become a global currency that's way harder than any other money. It's incorruptible because you can't go just make more when you feel like it. Mm-hmm. Governments right now, it's like, oh, you want to like keep funding the war effort in Syria or Afghanistan or something? Well, we're not going to raise taxes on everyone for that. We know they won't support it. Let's just go print more money. Yeah. And we're secretly taxing them because now all their dollars are worth way less and they're poorer. Yeah. So it's, it's an indirect way of taxing. None of that's possible with Bitcoin. Well, it's you hope not very- that like something doesn't happen in the future. Because like the interesting thing that I'm, someone really, they basically framed it really well for me to understand this whole digital world is that. Have you ever seen the movie Ready Player One or read the Mm. book? Okay, Mm. so it's essentially taking place in the future where like the actual earth that we live on is like desolate. Like we can't really like, it's just, it's not a great place to live. So now we've adapted where we go to this virtual world and that's where we go to school and we go to work and we do. So basically our physical body is here on the planet but we actually put on a VR headset and we're in a different place. And so all the, you know, that Bitcoin in a sense of the NFTs would then be kind of like in this world that you get to use versus a physical dollar. Oh, very interesting. It's very yeah. bizarre, but I mean, I, it's not, I don't know if we're too far off from that, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um, and so even if you look at like all the thing reasons gold has value, if you look at it, like Bitcoin does everything except exist in jewelry and, you know, participate in some electronics way better than gold does. People are storing their value in gold. Gold's market cap is still like nine times what Bitcoin's is. So put, investing in Bitcoin today, just to see it replace gold, you're looking at like a 9x investment, let alone. So Bitcoin's market cap right now is like $1.2 trillion. Like, I think there's something like three, I think $300 trillion are invested around the world in fixed income and bonds. But it's like, whose bonds do you want to go buy? Like some company whose future is quite in question or like government bonds right now, maybe in the past they were much more reliable, but right now, like what government looks like it's handling their, their money. Or their <laughs> like no one. <laughs> All this money, and then me, all this money has to make a choice of where do I want to be. And you could be in Bitcoin, which is this like encrypted, uninflatable, hard digital asset that solves money needs around the entire globe. 
so I, I see it as like, it's, it's headed for like 10 to 300 X still. So let's say that actually plays out. I don't need to talk about SAT uh, math formulas and grammar rules to earn a living anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I will really be able to, I probably, what I realized a couple of weeks ago is my life's mission is to help guide people from their heads to their hearts. So that's basically switching from tutoring to coaching in a sense, and or maybe a different, happening. okay. Happening. Uh, tutoring is a great excuse to Trojan horse in mm -hmm. and like, oh, like you need help with this test because you think you need to go to a great school. Awesome. And now let me just incept all these amazing ideas that help you get the best grades and scores you've ever had with the least stress ever, the most self-confidence. And you show up to your entire life as like a different person who deep down you were always wishing you could be and started to give up was even possible. So I may stay with tutoring for a while just because you can Trojan horse in that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm also like coaching clients are starting to fall into my lap where they just want to explicitly talk about personal things. And I know that's my, the biggest thing I'm most passionate about anyway. So I, that will always be there and be developing and deepening. So even if Bitcoin pops off and you're like a gajillionaire, you're still, you st think still you're going to be doing, you'd lean more into coaching, but you'd still do that? Without a doubt. And I'll be writing and speaking. And like I said, getting exquisite at piano and maybe making like documentary films. <laughs> that sounds so cool. I mean, you got plenty of time on this planet to still do it, so... Yeah. So one thing I think might help your audience a lot is what's helping my students so much with test anxiety, which is to know the difference between head anxiety and heart anxiety. Can I go into it? Yeah, go ahead. I actually want to, yeah, go ahead. You, do, what do you want? Well, no, I, 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 over the years have gotten really good about like listening to my intuition and like, I have to say mama Gina's though, she takes a completely different standpoint. Like it's a similar sense of like listening to your inner guidance and like, maybe it feels wrong because it's going against what someone's saying, but it feels so, so right. So you lean into that. So that's my way of gauging it. But sometimes it's difficult for me to communicate to that, to like my friends, like who are like, oh, I want to make decisions like at a better, in a better place like you do. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I don't have, no, I don't have the secrets to tell you. So if you have that information, let me know. Yeah. So yeah, obviously send them to me. And, <laughs> and then B, if you're going to step in, if, yeah, it's, it, it is as simple as listening to the middle of your chest and hearing the two sensations of opening and relaxing or closing and constricting. That literally will solve everything uh, when you just stay with it over time. And like I said, 200 times a day are making that choice. Um, and that, that'll probably never go away. Um, you just always have to remember. And so the Sufis, by the way, uh, you, do you know who I'm, who I'm referring to by the Sufis? No. It's like the mystical side of Islam. Okay. You've heard of Rumi, right? The poet? Yeah. So he was a, a Sufi mystic. Um, he was a Sufi poet. Uh, and anything you see the Sufis have written, you're like, oh my God, this is the most enlightened, beautiful stuff I've ever seen. Like, how is this not what we all go by? But every major religion has a mystical side and the Sufis are the mystical side of Islam. And all the mystical sides, they all say the same thing. And, and they also say all the, the same stuff as New Age spirituality. They're all saying the same thing. So, but what the Sufis will say is every moment that is not lived in remembrance of God. Now I take that, the way I remember God is I just listen to what is God saying to me in my heart. So I think it's the same thing as every moment that I'm not listening to the sensation in my heart. But what they say is every moment 
that is not lived in remembrance of God is a moment wasted. And uh, there was a speaker at, at the Tony Robbins financial seminar uh, a week ago. And he was saying how he used to, the Middle Eastern guy, brilliant insights, global insights, and I think he's his own hedge fund. He was saying he used to define his success in terms of how much money he'd made or whatever promotions he'd achieved. He now, day to day, he only defines his success in terms of how much of the day did he basically remember to breathe, be in his heart and remember God. All the same thing. It literally solves everything. It's what every religion has ever been saying. If you look in the, the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, all of them, they're not talking about your head. They're talking about your heart. And you know, one thing you'll hear me say is that the heart is about faith and trust. It sounds pretty religious, right? Mm-hmm. That's because the, the conversation with God happens in the heart. And literally, ancient Egypt, you know, which, you know, apparently super thriving, successful civilization for how many thousands of years, like built the pyramids. We still don't know how they did it. Like mathematical, artistic breakthroughs, all this stuff. They literally believed that the brain was in the heart. And when you passed, it was like your heart would be on that scale. And based on how much heaviness your heart was carrying, if it was too heavy, that would basically be your judgment when you passed for how you did this life versus if it was like light, free, and like, you know, unburdened by all the stuff that people carry out of fear, then you've like passed the test. So I think there's like an absurdly deep wisdom here. It explains so freaking much. It's ridiculous. Oh, okay. I was going to talk about head anxiety versus heart anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. I'm glad that you went into Egyptians because they do like when you really think about the way that they practiced, like burying their dead and all the rituals they had, like they really were wise and like new things that we are missing the mark on. Like they just, God, it's like, I'm also a nerd. I like, if I didn't go for teaching, I probably would have went as an archeologist. I swear. I, that's what I would have went as another life. Wow. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, all right, head anxiety, heart anxiety. Before that, we'll, we'll keep it uh, academic. So before tests, uh, especially in SAT, you're very likely to be feeling nervous going into it. Head anxiety is about doubt and worry. So if you're in doubt and worry, you're in head. Heart anxiety is just this eager anticipation around an uncertain outcome. It's adrenaline. Adrenaline like fuels you and studies will also show it like way raises your perceptive abilities. So going into your SAT, like when you feel all that nervousness, if you let yourself go in your head and go into doubt and worry, one of my students, she used to, she used to go into, what if I fail? What if I fail? What if I fail? And then she'd bomb the test. Totally worse than what she would do in practice. By contrast, if you feel that nervousness and you have this awareness now, and it's like, oh, wait, wait, keep my attention in the middle of my chest. That's the adrenaline I'm feeling. That's going to be fuel in my tank and extra perceptive abilities. Like that's going to take me to the top of my capability. You now know to trust that. And if you, like they've done interviews with like top performing uh, Olympic athletes and the, the, the medal, medal winners, like the way they would describe the nervousness before the event, skiing down the mountain or whatever, is like in, in very positive terms. They, they were eagerly anticipating getting to do the thing and they were in a place of faith and trust, which is the heart, and, and they're feeling the adrenaline. And what a lot of major athletes will say is like, the day I'm not nervous before I go perform is the day I should retire. Because they know they don't have the adrenaline anymore. They're not gonna be at the top of their abilities. They can't compete without that adrenaline. So you want that adrenaline, it's a good thing. And the other thing about heart anxiety is it's very unsettling because you're about to step into a situation that is much more intense than what you're used to. 
So what I'll, I'll say with students, I'm like, you know, you're gonna go talk to that person you have a crush on. Ah, it's like true. Like I really like this person. Your heart, you go, you you follow it. You go talk to them. Your heart's gonna be pounding. You're like sweating under your arms. Uh, it's all adrenaline, and it's just a much more intense experience than you're used to. A, a previous version of you might have gotten all in your head and gone into doubt and worry. And oh, I have to look a certain way. I got to say the right thing. I got to do everything perfectly for them to like me. You are no longer being yourself, and that person will never like you. Mm-hmm. The people who like you are the ones who got to experience the relaxed version of you because that's actually who you are and you actually gave them a chance to know you. They like you. No one likes you who you wore your mask around. It's like they never got to meet you. Yeah. That's why people always have that dynamic of like the people they would crush really hard on weren't interested in them, but then the, but then the people who were interested in them, they weren't that interested in. It's like, oh, why is that always happen? It's like, well, the people you crush on have never met you because you haven't been yourself with them. That's so true. And you also, when you said that, I immediately thought of even when business, like one of the major things that I'm learning as I'm developing brand guidelines and like really getting into like my, like my motto, like all the things, like right, why I'm doing what I'm doing is the, a lot of brands say you need to be authentic. And I'm like, well, obviously everyone needs to be authentic, but like, really, like, cause you can get really involved in like creating this persona or putting on the facade to look perfect and all this stuff. And then you completely miss the mark. It's like, that's not who you are. Yeah. Nobody likes perfection anyway. Yeah. No, they don't. We like uh, vulnerability and we like growth. Yeah. And, and so anyway, or it's like, you know, your high school kid, maybe you're in English class or history class, you're talking about some book or some period in history. And suddenly like before you even realize that you've raised your hand and you're about to share something a lot more honest and vulnerable than you ever would have done before. Okay, heart will be pounding. You're sweating under your arms again. And it's like way more intense than what you're used to because you're just, you're really revealing yourself in front of everyone. Um, and you might, you know, the head would worry, oh, they're going to judge me, whatever. Actually, people are so going to respect the vulnerability and courage and that they actually got to meet you in that moment because that hasn't happened before. And who you are is fucking awesome. And they finally got to see it and they love it. Like that's what actually plays out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of courage that's required to follow the heart's calling. Oh, definitely. What the hell does the word courage mean? C-O-U-R-A-G-E, it's French. It means fucking heart. Does it really? Yes. Oh my God, I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. So when you're going into the test and you're feeling all these nerves, what was the other experience I gave? There's only one more. Uh, Let's say you're like a sophomore, you made the varsity team and you're gonna start for the first time. Let's say it's basketball. That's going to be much more intense than what you're used to. Bigger stage, more people in the, in the crowd. It's more intense than what you're used to. So just know heart anxiety, it will feel unsettling. This is normal. Now, let's say, you know, the game starts and they, and they pass the ball to you and you've got an open three-pointer. If you go into doubt and worry, you're not going to take it. What if I miss? Like a, and, you, and you just pass up the open shot and everyone's yelling at you to shoot. And instead, you're like, force a pass to a teammate which had no place in the flow of the game and like that pass is getting stolen and you're not going to start anymore but when you show up from a place of faith and trust adrenaline like oh i'm on like superpower mode right now and faith and trust like you give me that open three-pointer like first shot as a sophomore i'm stepping up i'm taking it probably gonna hit it and it's like oh this kid's got what it takes and it's just because they were able to stay with their attention in their body in the heart anxiety place as opposed to the head anxiety of doubt and worry. And here's the last thing for tests, where test scores just get torpedoed and go downhill, is the student starts to worry under the time pressure that they don't have enough time. 
And in all our tutoring sessions, we're practicing all these techniques that take a little extra energy and a little extra time right at first to see the problem really precisely and not fall for the tricks that the SAT and ACT will use. What happened, but then they get in the test and this is what used to happen in the past. They would get in the test, they would get really scared, they don't have time. They would just abandon all the techniques because it would feel like they take too long to do. And now they have no technique as they go through the test. They're getting confused by questions. It's just like a meltdown. And so you need to, because and that's only because you went into doubt and worry about the time. The clocks will tick, that's what they do, it'll tick. So as it ticks, you stay in that heart awareness in that place of faith and trust. And so from that place, you can do what we always talk about, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And that's like, have you heard that model before? I haven't. Can you explain it a little? This one might be good for Gabby. <laughs> Probably. I'm always so fast. <laughs> I know. So this is the Navy SEALs like top maxim. They repeat it over and over. The Navy SEALs, they do all this breath work. And they're always repeating. Now these are like badasses, lives on the line, the toughest dudes you can imagine. They do so much attention on breathing properly to calm and ground you. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And what that means is, is do all the little steps slow because then it just goes really smoothly. And then when you're done, you realize you finished faster than you ever would have guessed because you, you didn't make mistakes along the way. So that's how you take your test incredibly. Um, and so, you know, the one student I told you took in February, he was super confident and I actually believed him. He told, he's told me, he's like, when he's taking his, you know, ACT science is super time pressured. It's like 35 minutes. Like, how am I supposed to do all these questions in so little time? And he just says, he finishes with like nine minutes left now. It's absurd. I've never seen anyone do it this fast. And he says, he just goes through, he's just so orderly and smooth as he's following the steps. He's a smart guy. He's not like a rocket scientist. Like, and he gets awesome scores. He finishes with so much time left. He literally texted me like, I cannot see how I did not get a perfect 36 on the science today. Like he, he can't even, and I know he's, he's not full of it. And he's just, he, he's so committed to the breathing. When I talked to him about head heart, he like totally grokked it. He's the one who told me like, he feels totally different around his friends now. It's even changed how he plays hockey where he's hoping to get recruited and he used to take it so seriously. He's playing way better. And so you, you can just, because you, you're able to recognize the two types of anxiety, stay in that heart place of faith and trust. You can trust the technique that you practiced and it just goes so smoothly and so well. Pretty amazing. I definitely need to do that. <laughs> my like nickname in my family is, well, so my uncle's really, really fast too. So he was zip one and I'm zip two. Mm. Meaning like, you know, like zip, like, yeah. So here I am. <laughs> this is one of the superpowers. And the paradox that you're going to find is that as you go slower and really hard attuned with each little step, you will be faster than you've ever been. Yeah. 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 We're getting there. But I am recognizing that, yeah, I was usually if I acted really, really quickly, that's when, like you had said, I make mistakes and then I have to go do it again. And then it's like if I just did it the first time, I wouldn't have had to redo it. And as you get more sensitized, your gut and your heart, your body are probably asking you to go slower. You know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you're, you're probably feeling something inside. Yeah. yeah, I usually carry it in my like shoulders, like my trap area. That's, you know, I have stuff to work on though, but at least I'm aware of it. So I feel really happy about that. Cool. Yeah. 
So anyway, uh, I wanted to leave off on one particular note. I always ask my guests this when they finish. Um, if you can give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Younger self. How old? I don't know, 20s. Maybe you're still in college or you just finished college. This whole head heart thing would have been amazing. Uh, one thing that really helped get me there, I read this book called Go For No. Have you heard me talk about it? No. Go for, it's the smallest book you'll ever read. It's like so fast. It's really silly. Silly story, but such a powerful point. So the idea is if you're not getting rejections in your life, people aren't rejecting you, you are not going for what you want. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So it flips the whole paradigm of failure. People usually think like, oh, like failure's over here to the right, success is over there to the left. I'm gonna do everything I can to go over to success on the left. The real dynamic is failure's over here to the left, success is even further to the left, and you don't get to success except through failure. So in the book, it just shows that this guy, he like hits his head, he wakes up and it, like it's 10 years later and he wakes up in the home of the version of himself who had spent the last 10 years going for no in every part of his life. And it's like, he's got a big, beautiful house. He's like free on a Tuesday to go play golf with his friends. He looks on the wall and there's like three books that he's written. His wife like runs this whole like big art gallery, which was always her dream in the past, but she hadn't done anything. Now she started going for no and she's got her whole art business. So I started walking around. This was in my mid to late 20s, late 20s, probably 28, 29. And I gave myself six categories that I was going to get rejected in. And so it was romantic, business, like making eye contact and saying hi to strangers on the street in New York, giving people genuine compliments with friends and family, just saying what the truth was. And then I had a other category, um, just other. And I gave myself a goal, like I was going to get like one or two rejections per week. And I started like going up to pretty women on the street. I'd never done that before and like saying hi. Or, and then in my business, I started like raising my rates. Like each time I named my next rate, it was a rate that scared me. I was like, oh my God, they're going to hate me. They're going to be so offended. And then like people like, yeah, sure. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and so then like, you know, and, and so suddenly every part of my life where I started going for no, uh, I had utter abundance. And so then I started to look back at my younger self, like in high school. I might've been like the best shooter in my whole grade in basketball. I used to take like 300 jump shots every day after school. I was like, but then in the game, I was just so, even in practice, I was so scared to shoot. I was so scared to miss that I wouldn't shoot. And I like phased out of basketball. And I just remember that the, this guy, he hit nine threes one game as a senior. And I remember playing with him when we were younger and he just always used to shoot and shoot and shoot. And like, he didn't always make them at all. Uh, but he just kept shooting. He was going for no. And like he became, you know, the starting shooting guard on the basketball team who hit nine threes one game. And, you know, I had a friend who like basically kissed like every pretty girl across three grades. And like he was not <laughs> the most handsome kid in the school. He was just going for it. And then I thought back to in class, like who would get all the points for like, you know, class participation. I was always too shy to share. And it was just, I realized in every arena, whoever's killing it is the one who's going for no the most. And they have the most abundance. And, wow. and what actually happens is your head, like basically the desire comes up in your heart. I might see like really beautiful woman on the street. It's like, oh no, I gotta talk to her. Uh, and the head will come up with a story of like the worst possible thing that could happen. Like she's gonna be so offended. She'll be so mad. She's, you're just gonna feel so horrible for her. 
and it'll give it like a 60% likelihood of happening. Uh, the truth is it happens 2% of the time. It does happen 2% of the time. <laughs> and, uh, and then That's funny. The truth is that life gives you a yes 60% of the time. And so you suddenly, you're like trying to get rejected and all these people are saying yes to you. And it's like, oh my God, I have like, I'm like living everything I was dreamed of but thought was impossible. I thought I had to perfectly figure it out in my head before I ever took a risk and tried it. And, and the truth is you learn so much more and so much faster by stepping into the fire of the experience. Even on those 2% where the most horrible thing did happen, you're actually fine. Like mm -hmm. you get over it fast. You learn so much from it. Like that's what accelerates your learning so much. So the people who are killing it are not only giving themselves the chance to succeed way more, but they're learning so much through every experience, so much faster than everyone else who's in their head. And it was like such a ridiculous game changer. So the earlier I could have picked that up. Now, here's the thing. When I was first doing go for no, I didn't have head heart clarity. So I was really in my head about a lot of it, a lot of times still. And sometimes it could be so awkward. It was kind of artificial and forced and contrived because, and I was like, how do I know like, now I know the whole thing is you go for no from heart. Go for no is just an excuse to actually try the thing your heart is asking for. But as you stay calibrated to your heart moment to moment, you, how you show up to the world is really calibrated and attuned. If you get in your head about it, you'll be like a super awkward go for no person, which is what I was. And that will still work out amazing. But the magic bullet is you mix in the moment heart awareness and you're just acting for what's true for you. And it's like, life becomes so ridiculously absurdly amazing you just nobody ever told you that that was possible and it is and you learned that all from that book the go for no i learned the go for no piece and then now i compare it with the heart head awareness and it's like you know it's all these missing pieces from different things and you just put it all the all the gold of it together basically i definitely could have used that when i was younger too because i remember being like a nervous like anxious wreck in like college and i did really well but it definitely could have been a lot more pleasant if I actually was more, you know, in a yes, well, a yes type of mindset where going for no's as opposed to like putting the walls up and like not, you know, it was very unpleasant. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. So the, another thing I realized is, um, how do I say it? People who have surprising amounts of resentment, they're very pissed off because fear is running their life. Yeah. And they're playing very small. In the head, you play so small. You're trying to keep everything safe and never look stupid and blah, blah, blah. So you play so small and you'll, you'll resent it because your actual identity is something so much bigger. And it's dying for you to, to live it out and express it and, and experience it. And, and they're so stuck in their heads and they're so resentful of other people taking risks and doing, doing things. So all they know how to do to deal with the discomfort of the whole dynamic is just judge, 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 mm -hmm. judge. And they play so small and fearful. And it's like, so when I run into people with a lot of that kind of resentment, I just, they're just caught in a cycle of playing small and they don't know it. Uh, they don't know how to hear kind of the gut and the heart calling you to something so much truer, so much bigger and to go take action on it. So for someone who is in that place and they can't immediately access the head heart feeling, what is the first starting place? Is it approaching nose or is it? Hmm. doing breath yeah. work like what would you recommend going for no is always good it's super bold it's probably too much for a lot of people at first mm -hmm. but like read the book it's super fast and short that'll get you started 
And then I really think you just, you do, the most important thing is to keep practicing sensitizing to the subtle sensation of your chest. Is it opening and relaxing or closing and constricting? And start daring to follow what it tells you to do. And I'll give you a quick example. I gave a webinar last week, our first ever GrowthWise webinar. Uh, a grand total of one person showed up. Uh, <laughs> we have no idea how she found us. It didn't make sense, but she was there. She's got $2 in ninth grade. We haven't worked with her before. Uh, but then our admin Grace came on and our tutor Mark. So we had a four person call. I could have gotten my head and be like, oh, where is everyone? It's so small, so embarrassing. I didn't do that for a second. I just had like an amazing time with these three other people. And in the hour before the webinar, I, could, I felt all this anxiety. I was getting nervous for it. And my head was like, you need to make a PowerPoint. You need to like plan out the whole talk. You got to make sure you're not going to miss any important points. But as I was experiencing those thoughts, I just felt this constricting inside. I was like, oh, like, all right, you mean I'm not supposed to do all that proper preparation? And it's like, no. And, and then Hart like just wanted me to like read and enjoy my life or whatever. And then the call comes, I'll get on the call and to trust that I will know what to say when the call starts. And as I go through the whole call, I'm just listening for like, I'm going to say whatever the hell makes my, head, my chest open and relax. And I'm going to stop talking when that makes my chest open and relax. And I was just going to trust that the heart's going to know what to say at all the perfect times. And the call was amazing. It was like such, everything I could have wanted to say, I said. And so it was just, it was like, just moving into that heart place of just like, ooh, I feel the adrenaline, trust, faith and trust is gonna go great. If it calls me to prepare, I will, but it was not calling me to prepare. So I had to trust that. And it was way better. I was probably a lot more relaxed and open than I would have been if I'd gotten all tight preparing. That's my story, I forget what I told <laughs> No, just um, about strategizing for, a, you know, someone who's newly trying oh, yeah. to figure that out and then having an example of that showing up. That's funny. Yeah, so uh, you just keep sensitizing the middle of your chest. And so what I'm talking about all the time with myself and others and my students is baby steps. So baby, so when you're just first learning a skill, you're in baby steps mode. Baby steps, like they're super small. They're not big steps. They're super wobbly. They're not clear and confident yet. And like a baby takes two or three steps and then they fall on their ass. And, so, and we don't like judge them. We're like so excited about the little baby. Oh, stuff. you're so cute. It's yeah. like, you could do it again. Right? So they get all the <laughs> in love for having tried the thing. They were going for no. And so the baby wants to take more steps. You know, it's never like, oh, you know what? This kid's just not a walker. And we're gonna, you know, you're never giving up on the baby. Like you just encourage more steps. And so with hearing head and heart, you wanna know all the symptoms of head. You wanna have those be able to flow off the tip of your tongue. You wanna know what the heart about is about, you wanna know what the gut's about, and then you just wanna practice. And that's just so you can name it and label it when you experience it. And then you just wanna practice hearing that subtle sensation in your chest. And you'll start to learn, you'll hear it more sensitively over time. You'll have baby steps with it, you'll screw it up. But then you'll also, you will make positive steps and you'll start through all your little mini experiments, you'll start to realize, oh, I can trust this. Uh, and where I've gotten to now real quick, like, do you ever do this? Like, I probably told you this on the phone the other day, you get all in your head about your to-do list. And it's like, it feels like, oh, I got like seven things to do. And you feel like a stress around it. Does that ever happen? Oh yeah. Or I get, I almost feel like so fried. Like it's almost like you have too much coffee and you're like, like don't know which direction to go, but you're like buzzing in place. That's funny. Um, yeah. So what, what I've come to in this past month is everything gets done the best, not on my head's timing, on heart's timing. 
So when I just wait until it relaxes and opens in my heart to like renew my passport or like <laughs> pay that bill or whatever it is, I will not, I don't care. I don't, I'm not thinking about it until that happens. I won't even worry about it. I, I just have learned to trust heart's timing. Heart has this. Heart will tell me when it's time to do it. And then I sit down, it's true for me to do it. I'm super efficient, done, no stress. And everything goes better that way. So I don't even have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about freaking anything. Some part of how growth wise is going to grow or what we're doing or some part, I don't, none of it needs to be worried about. Absolutely none of it. Heart will call me when it's time to do it. And until then, I, I don't care. Kind of That's nice. an awesome perspective. Well, yeah, it is also, it's, you're taking the pressure off your chest of like this capitalist world we live in where it's like perform, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Whereas, you know, if you just kind of relax a bit, not only do you enjoy it more, but you probably perform a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally more effective. And then my experience of doing work for my company. Oh, I could go on so long, Gabby. Do you, do you need to shut me up? <laughs> um, we could probably start wrapping. I I feel like you should come back on again and we can talk more specifics if you want. Because I know you like talking too. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to hear me explain something, it makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> good to be a teacher. Um, the, the one thing I was going to share, and we can do it another time, is the head heart piece completely explains ADD and procrastination. Oh, yeah. I would love to, for, to bring you back on to discuss that. It's so important. And that's like a freaking epidemic amongst kids today with school. It's insane. Yeah. Especially with like the internet, there's so much like distraction and like, I have difficulty with procrastination sometimes too, because there's so much fluff. You know what I mean? Like. No, you're struggling with procrastination because you're getting in your head and trying to make yourself do things when it's not true for you yet. <laughs> and that creates conflict and discomfort. So you run away from the discomfort to your favorite distraction because you haven't learned to trust that your heart's going to handle the thing you think you need to do at its own timing. And that's probably later than your head thinks it is. Mm, damn it, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I definitely, I think we should take time to discuss it more in depth. So when, when you're ready, we can, or when heart tells you, you can, you can hop back on. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see your podcast when it happens. Yeah. We'll have you on. Cool. Thanks, Jim. Right. Thank you, Abby. Bye. See ya.